Welcome to Come Along With Me, a podcast for fans who finished all 10 seasons of Adventure Time and want to journey back through the land of Ooh in an episode-by-episode analysis of Cartoon Network's most mathematical TV show. I am KK the Human. And I'm Laura, also the human. This is Chapter 2.18, Susan Strong, boarded by Adam Muto and Rebecca Sugar. In this episode of Come Along With Me, when it comes to having a sweet tooth, humans end up guilty. This podcast contains full spoilers for all of Adventure Time. If you haven't finished the series, turn back now. Princess Bubblegum tasks Finn and Jake with removing the stumps left behind when her uncle Gumball chopped down all the taffy trees near their old cabin. Before she goes, she has an awkward moment where she reminds Finn he's never met any other humans. While completing the task, Finn and Jake discover a hatch. They hop in to investigate, coming across several creatures living in the darkness below. After both parties realize they don't have to be afraid of each other, the creatures turn out to be other humans wearing animal hats, just like Finn's. They are led by the very buff Susan Strong. Finn and Jake take her to the surface to show her the wonders of the outside world. She is terrified and subsequently coaxed through her fears of things like grass, rocks, and dancing bugs. They also show her marshmallows. Susan becomes ravenous for candy, and they take her to the candy kingdom where everything is edible. Inspired, Susan Strong tells the boy she's going to retrieve her people and come back and eat everyone and everything in the candy kingdom except Peppermint Butler. Princess Bullygum readies their defenses, but it only serves to make everyone cuter. Their tactics don't work until the Marshmallow Kids set themselves on fire and attack the humans. Their animal hats burn and they pull them off, only to reveal that they were not humans, but fish people all along. They run back to their sewers in fear. Susan never takes off her hat and Finn is left wondering who and what she really is. Susan Strong! I love Susan. Oh, she is so pure, you know? I mean, and she's truly one of the most important non-main cast characters, I would say. Yeah, plot-wise, she really set up so much stuff. Uh, Not that we know it at this point. Not that we know it at this point. Although we could, I think even back then, we knew that she was going to be important to Finn's arc one way or another. That's true. This is a very... It's an episode that is significant and an episode that clearly is a to-be-continued. I think it's maybe the first episode that's clearly like, oh, you've left something to be resolved here, actually. I think you're right. I think this is the first time where something is deliberately left to be resolved. Yeah, like it ends on a uncertain note, and it's not the first episode to do that, but all the other ones were like kind of, ooh, weird or spooky. This one is like, there's more to learn here, and... When will we learn it? In like eight seasons, so (laughs) don't hold your breath. Uh, What was your favorite part? Hmm. I really love uh, that scene uh, by the campfire. The lighting is beautiful. The song is beautiful. It's just a cute, uh, really sweet scene. And uh, I don't know. I love it. It's like a cozy blanket. Yours? Um, My favorite? Hmm. Okay, well, this is maybe not 
fair because it's not really intrinsic to the episode but when uh finn tells susan grass can't hurt you and then she almost gets killed by the grass sword i thought that was pretty funny oh i hadn't realized that okay i know i know (laughs) oh man especially because the great irony of that episode is Susan Strong is out of control. She's attacking in a way she doesn't want to. And Finn is also out of control because the grass sword is so overly aggressive. And it's just neither of these people have full control over their actions. Ah, delicious, juicy irony. (laughs) Susan is voiced by Jackie Buscarino, who is also Pacifica Northwest in Gravity Falls and Vidalia in Steven Universe, which... Always huh. blows my mind because Those, she's that's also. That's a range. That is I know she's range. also the producer of Steven Universe. Like, voice acting is not her main gig. She just voices those three iconic characters. I I guess in all of these is it that she's one of those cases where she's on the production team of all these shows and they just need an incidental voice and she's available. That's my guess. Yeah. Okay, it's cool. Um, so I think we've talked a little bit in previous episodes about, uh you know, some of the rationales of the writers of who Susan was going to be, that, like, she was originally going to be uh, Finn's long-lost sister. But we haven't really talked about more of her design inspirations, where, as I understand it, she was based on... She was based on Pendleton Ward's role-playing character? Ha! Um, In one of, like, the very early MMOs. I forget which one. Maybe, like... God, I don't even remember which one, but it was like, you know, before World of Warcraft type things. And she was um, big and uh, busty, we'll say. (laughs) So um, they carried that over. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see a woman with a large chest who's not like overly sexualized for it, I think. That's, yeah, you know what? I actually very much agree with it. Listen, there are people who draw big boobs on women because they inherently think it's sexual, but that doesn't mean that that big boobs are inherently sexual, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, I appreciate that a lot in this episode, and obviously she's also big and strong and has a body type, and, like, I'm not gonna say, like, any other character, because I guess she's kind of similar to Muscle Princess, but it's more realistic than that, right? Yeah, yeah, Muscle Princess is more of a cartoonish muscular build whereas Susan Strong is like I mean someone who's she's still a cartoon professional character. professional bodybuilder but still more along those lines yeah, yeah I mean still a cartoon, you're right yeah I mean obviously she doesn't look like an actual human being <laughs> but she looks more like an actual human being by the standards of the show which makes sense because she is in fact a human being she is in fact a human being I will say and I don't hold this against Finn because he's 12 and having baby's first existential crisis which aww um (laughs) the humans which we know from like a single spinoff book from like 2014 or whatever are spelled H-Y-O-O-M-A-N it's not humans humans (laughs) the humans (laughs) I mean, they are human descendants, right? They've got to be, right? With the with the animal hats? They have the animal hat. It it seems to be that you know, we have we have the population of surviving humans, which as we know from the stakes miniseries began to wear animal hats as a kind of like uh, protection against vampires because they would try to drink the blood from the animal neck, not the human neck. Um and most of that population ended up going on a boat to what 
would eventually be Founders Island. But it seems a portion of them ended up hiding down in the sewers where some sort of magical radiation or whatever turned them into fish people. Maybe they just met some fish people and fell in love. That's also a possibility. Sure. <laughs> so I would argue from an evolutionary point of view, there's, you know, there's going to be the same amount of genetic difference between them and the, you know, between the fish humans and the Founders Island humans compared to humanity of today, genetically. Um, Susan feels Finn's neck immediately. I didn't notice that. Yeah, she feels, as soon as they meet and as soon as she's like over her fright, she puts her hands under his hood and feels his neck. So that, so let's talk about Susan's amnesia, because I think that's a good point to bring it up. That suggests that even though obviously she's got a wonderful uh, traditional TV convenient amnesia, she remembers on at least a subconscious level enough to know that she doesn't have gills and other some other humans don't and to be curious about who and why right mm-hmm. um so that's interesting i also something that really struck me rewatching this episode is it actually does a pretty good job of syncing her personality up with what we know of her kara self yeah keep going okay so like Sure, my first thought was, why is she so scared of everything? Because we know from the Distant Lands flashbacks that Kara was a veritable powerhouse. Uh, you know, she was made to to punch things and to be combat ready and to be, you know, as safe as anybody could be in the hostile wilderness uh, that they thought the rest of the world was. But in this one, she's scared of everything. But, I mean, that does make sense if she suffered an extremely bad head wound and had whatever chips in her head messing up, and she's been raised by, you know, people who very clearly have a prey mindset. But at the same time, she was raised to think the outside world was dangerous and awful and would kill her, right? Oh, yeah. So that kind of... So, like, this was really sweet if imagining... What if Kara didn't have amnesia? This was the Kara who, you know, was fresh from Founders Island, who expects there to be awful monsters around every tree. And, you know, instead Finn and Jake being like, no, look, grass is nice. The dancing bugs are friends. You know, here, have a marshmallow. That was really sweet from that perspective. It is. And I guess, it, I mean, that is what's happening, too. Like, she's been in the sewers this whole time, presumably. Yeah. So. Where we know that she took kind of a leadership protective role and I mean we don't really get a lot of characterization of the other uh, humans but um she did seem to really come to care for them and step into her own around them right yeah absolutely I think I mean is the next Susan Strong episode the one with the love gloves I think it's the love glove episode and then after that it's that one with the purple soda oh yeah so she's definitely you know taking an active role in leadership in the love gloves episode she seeks finn and jake out to help them with the problem yeah yeah for sure and this episode she she's the one who goes candy's delicious which makes sense for somebody who's presumably been eating like weird garbage fish down in the sewers um (laughs) you know having her first dose of strong of sweet carbohydrates would do that she's the one who goes okay um food source gonna rally all my people and eat it and eat this you know yeah she's the one who's like they're just shadows they won't hurt you mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. listen to her too they do listen to i mean they obviously get scared when they're set on fire which understandable but 
you know, uh, even here, you know, she really came into her own, I think. Sure, she almost committed genocide, but... Yeah, she's, you know... She she doesn't really have strong... She barely speaks the language, so... Yeah, you know, we can forgive her for not having a strong sense of what does sapience mean at this point. (laughs) This is the first time I've ever caught where her name comes from, when they're like, go see the sun, we'll we'll take you to see the sun, and she's like, sun? Yeah. I I never caught that before. Yeah, so I, I like... Again, going back to Kara, you know, her backstory now is Kara, who was told to be afraid of everything in the outside world. Her name now is based on the sun, and I think that's really sweet. Um, I also noticed that when she's, like, first really feeling at the language, she's, like, saying a whole bunch of gibberish. And one of the things in her gibberish I caught was Kara. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, so, you know, uh, presumably that wasn't gibberish. Maybe she did remember her name at some level and was trying to, like... It, so. so when Finn sings his song to Susan, one of the lines is, Susan Strong, you turn my heart on. Mm. I think the way I would choose to interpret it is is not romantically, but I think there's a possibility that it was supposed to po- at least lead to a potential romance. Do you think that's true? Do you think at some point she switched from sister to potential love interest? Well, here's what I remember. I remember when I first watched this how many years ago. I felt it was explicitly romantic. Um, And it's really hard for me to tell in retrospect how much was that genuine, how much was that just usually in fiction when uh, a young male character says to a young female character who isn't explicitly family, when they say love or anything about heart, they mean romantically. And how much of it was the show being like, hey, if there's a woman on screen, she's probably flirting with Finn, right? True. That's very true. Um, And like, I remember, I wasn't exactly deep in fandom. I don't think there was like a really strong fandom in the sense there is these days for Adventure Time. But, you know, the fan art was very much, uh, we've got an Archie, Veronica, Betty situation with Finn and Princess Bubblegum and Marceline. And then Susan Strong was considered like the dark horse romantic pairing. <laughs> oh, um, but I mean, reading it now it, with my own context between a knowing, I mean, there's obviously a big age difference between uh, Finn and Susan. Like they, they are significantly different in age. Knowing that and, you know, their their character development trajectories, I really didn't see anything romantic in it. It felt so clearly about a young boy being excited to connect with another member of his species for the first time, you know? And that's what I meant. I meant, like, I will choose to read it that way with the full context given, but I think... The way that it was in, it was written at the time was probably romantic. It was pro. I don't know. I feel it feels so much more ambiguous now that I watch it now, and it's so hard for me to parse what the original intent was without me projecting all these other assumptions and readings on top of it. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of other great stuff in this episode besides Susan, including a Lost reference. There. Okay, I've never watched Lost, so fill me in. Uh, don't watch Lost. I mean, there's a reason I haven't, but go on. One day, someone's going to put together a fan edit and reduce six seasons into three, and then that day I shall rewatch Lost, but not until then. I mean, maybe you should. It might already exist. 
Yeah, maybe. But, uh, yeah, the hatch that they find among the stumps is, I think, a clear Lost reference. That's a, one of the coolest things that happens in Lost is they find this hatch. And, That's neat. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, but a lot of interesting Princess Bubblegum stuff in this app, huh? Yeah, I mean, are you talking besides her two amazing dresses? I mean, tell us about the two amazing dresses first and foremost. Well, one of them is like this like tutu dress with this like fringe cardigan number happening with it. It's really exciting. And then the one she's wearing at the end is like this turquoise number with a mat with a necklace and matching belt with these bell heart sleeves. <sighs> Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Okay, let's run down then the other Princess Bulgum ones. The first thing is, man, she walked right into the most awkward conversation ever, and I'm genuinely surprised she didn't see it before she went in there. Her EQ is not super high. Her EQ, but she's just like, you must have lots of fun friends with your other human relatives. You have been alive for one thousand for like eight hundred years, Princess Bubblegum. <laughs> when have you last seen humans before Finn? When? When? <laughs> it like I I legit think that maybe this was another reason contributed to her breakup with Marceline. Was she ever like, tell me about your human family, Marcy? And she Marcy had to go and write an angsty song about it. My one human family. And then one adopted human family. <laughs> oh, they're both dead, by the way. But they're both. By the way, they're both dead. Well, one is even worse, arguably worse than dead. I mean, you could can call it death of the mind, maybe. Yeah, there you and go. Is that true death? Hmm? Uh, we also get our first mention of a great uncle Gumbald. Great, which again is, listen, they absolutely expected it in this episode to be like he'd been alive like forty years ago, right? Um, Absolutely. Because why else would there still be stumps from 800 years ago? Like, if you think about it too hard, it doesn't make that much sense. But, you know, they did what they could to make it make sense. And they did it pretty well. And I also saw later in the episode, she has in her, like, room, she had a picture of Aunt Lolly in her up. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know we say this, like, every three episodes, but the way they, like dove into these early seasons to weave the larger picture of the later seasons is really cool. And they didn't have to do that, but they did. They they didn't, and they did. But I do have to wonder, like, man, I sure wouldn't want to have a picture of the relative who I created in my own image, who then attempted to kill me, and I turned into candy and has kept imprisoned in a childlike mind for millennia. I wouldn't Dang. want that up in my pic- in my room, I'm just saying. Dang, Laura, that was kind of a buzzkill, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Okay, I really personally read Princess Bubblegum as, like, a human fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, she she was born into this, into the ruins of this world, and she modeled her entire identity, I think, after all these human relics she found. Like, that's where how she got the idea of being a princess, and how she first got the idea of making a family with a world's best uncle in it. And she wants to be, you know... She, she's like uh, the orangutan Jungle Book, you know, tell me how to be like you. Um, and unfortunately, the first human that she's found in like centuries is this 12 year old boy who has no living memory of any other human. That's also kind of an interesting thought that I don't really have a conclusion for. But like she is a human fanboy, but she also is obsessed with immortality, which is like that's, the, you know, that's sort of the crux of human existence is knowing it will end. 
Yeah, but I can say that humans as a species are also maybe kind of obsessed with immortality. Hmm, yeah, maybe. You know, like one of the oldest stories that we have is Beowulf, which is about a man's search for immortality. Um, and mainly, I believe the lessons of most of those stories are usually don't strive for immortality, but I wouldn't say that Princess Bubblegum's strength is literary analysis. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> So no, I, this is a great episode. It, it is. It's, it's an episode that got richer uh, in retrospect. As rich as those squishy marshmallow kids. How do you like to eat your marshmallows? Mm, brown all around. I like burnt. golden brown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, like he eats the, the burnt flesh at the end and it, that doesn't sound pleasant to me. No, I, I'll eat a burned marshmallow because most of it is still good gooey marshmallow. You can take the outside off, but you have right. to take it off first, right? I want some s'mores. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple other really good things I wanted to mention about this episode. Go real for quick, it. Real quick. The Jake Sploder is very good. What was the uh, Jake Sploder? When Finn throws Jake as like a little tennis ball, side, like a grenade, and then he explodes the stumps away. <laughs> One stump. And then oh, yeah, they that went was on good. another adventure. One single stump. Spamow <laughs> uh, uh, is some linguistic spiz. Spamow, pretty in line spamow. with that. Yeah. Uh, Jake saying, we should check it out, and then jumps in the hatch immediately. Doesn't even wait for Finn to breathe. There's also a good line later in the episode where he's like, we could rule them like gods. Angry, Angry gods. gods. <laughs> Which is more evidence that if Jake wasn't so lazy, he would be terrifying. <laughs> we could rule them like gods. Angry gods. Uh, when Susan's afraid of rocks, uh, Jake calls them a low-level en- enemy, which is like our first D&D thing in a while. It is, but I would like to point out that I don't even think rocks are an enemy. Like, sure, maybe you get into rock golems and stuff, but those aren't low-level anymore. <laughs> so. Uh, and then uh, another really great one is uh, <laughs> the Starchy says, Starch is a Beelzebub. <laughs> Oh, and then finally, uh, Finn asks Jake, do you think she was a human or just another wild animal? And it's like, there's in between Finn, your brother is a talking dog. <laughs> I I feel like, the, you know, going into more subtle linguistic plays, if we're gonna, presumably the most logical thing is the language has shifted. So animal just means any non-sapient creature right oh yeah i think we've had this conversation before actually. we must have had something similar but like a person would just be anybody who can talk or whatever and anything else would be an animal so i but i still think it's racist against the fish people to call them wild animals yeah i mean i think there can be subtlety and stuff uh it's you know just because they're living a different existence presumably out of necessity doesn't mean that they're animals right right they clearly had the ability to understand language and use tools and things. So, yeah. Um, but does it surprise us that Jake isn't the most sensitive person out there? Finn says that. Okay, but Finn's 12. Okay, that's, yeah, all right. And he was taught by Jake, so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also do want to go back to, like, the candy. Trying, candy's trying to scare off uh, this group of humans. Where on earth were the banana guards? A. 
I have that in my notes too. Where were the banana guards? She sat, had some iteration of them for centuries. I know. So that was weird. Maybe they were off, I don't know, doing like a, you know, uh, one of those picnic retreats, team building <laughs> exercises. <laughs> that sounds like something they would do. Um, B, the other thing I noticed is Princess Bubblegum is absolutely terrifying, except when she actually tries to be. <laughs> she's awkward man she's an awkward person she's like cute little costumes i'm like princess bubblegum there are times where i stare into your soul and fear for the existence of our entire fabric of reality and this is the best you can do <laughs> i love her man i love her but <laughs> no i love this app this is a good app it's very good a good comedy good action good bonding character study i'm not sure what you would call that Good song, good cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one that really, I think, makes good use of, hey, we're in a post-apocalyptic environment. How can we use that to inform our character personality? You know, mm-hmm. lots of great yeah. stuff there. No surprises that it's a sugar muto joint. No surprises at all. So, Laura, uh, what is the media rec for today? I would like to recommend the book The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. Uh, I believe it also has a film adaptation, which I haven't seen, but I've heard good things about it. So there's also a film. Um, I originally read this book, God, like five years ago, and I revisited the audiobook just this past week. And it is so good. It's one of those books that, like, after I finish it, I just keep thinking about it. Um, it's about a girl called Melanie, who, you know, very quickly, she's extremely smart. She knows lots of things really well, and she's great at math and reading and everything. Um, but for some reason, she has to be uh, held down in her, and all her classmates have to be held down. And once a week, she's fed maggots, and she has to have weird chemical baths. Ugh. And as you keep reading it, you go, oh. She's a zombie. Oh. Um, so, however spoilerly I'm going to get, uh, it is a post-apocalyptic setting where the world got devastated by a fungal plague. So I understand, not for everyone right now. Understandable. Um, but she is in one of the few government facilities left in Great Britain where she's being studied. She doesn't understand this because she's like an eight-year-old girl. Uh, because she seems she and some of these other kids seem to have partial immunity to the fungal virus. And we get her perspective of how much she adores her teacher um, versus the teacher's perspective of her very conflicted relationships that she has with these kids that she has to be teaching uh, versus perspectives of like the soldiers on the base and the researcher who's studying her. Um, and it's just... It's a very dark book, but still quite weirdly hopeful. And I don't know. It's just, I really love how it's written. Um, I, I adored it. So I, I liked how the kind of similar ideas of these post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, girls trying to struggle with their humanity, which I thought was a good connection to this episode. What's the reading level? Is it just a general fiction or young uh, It's adult fiction. Um, okay. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of the perspective is from like an eight-year-old. So it, it's not so much in terms of... The difficulty of the language is more the difficulty of the themes, if that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Rad. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for joining Laura and KK the Humans that come along with me. If you have any questions or comments about what we've been talking about, you can email us at adventuretimepod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at come along with me, where the last E is a three, or Instagram and Tumblr at adventuretimepod. Now come on, grab your friends, and go to the next